0: You know, just imagine, you know, an India where you could travel from any part of uh, India uh, and get to wherever you want to get to within one hour. And if I could deliver to the common man, which basically constitutes, what, 800 million people, then I would think that's a perfect business opportunity.
1: That was Jay Wadia 15 years ago, with high-flying dreams very similar to those envisaged by Modi Luft, Air Sahara, Kingfisher and Jet Airways. The Vardyas in 2005 embarked on a risky route, taking on the Indian skies, which were very inviting then, but have proven to be very unforgiving to their guests in the last decade and a half. The Vardyas, however, were wishing for a different story, but the headlines now are sounding scarily similar. Reports say there is a severe shortage of funds. Reports also say that GoFirst owes more than eight hundred million dollars to its creditors. Now, GoFirst has blamed Pratt and Whitney not only for faulty engines but also for its insolvency.
2: Unfortunately, uh, Pratt and Whitney,
3: the engine manufacturer, has completely deceived us.
1: GoFirst has been granted bankruptcy protection by the National Company Law Tribunal. Similar, but not the same. The big difference is that the Vaadhyas are wearing the insolvency badge before it was forced upon them. But many questions are arising from what is being called a masterstroke in business strategy. Are the Vaadhyas using the IBC to just avoid a complete collapse? Or is this protection the very essence of the IBC ecosystem? Will a stop cap really revive GoAir, Or is the next stop bankruptcy? The big question, if it comes down to liquidation, Given that it was a voluntary insolvency, can the Vardyas win back the airlines as a bidder? Answers coming up in the episode as we explore with in-house aviation expert Anirban Chaudhary and Rajesh Sharma, an ex-NCLT bench head who presided over the jet case, who explains to us why voluntary insolvency works so well for those who chose it. It's Tuesday, May 16th, and buckle in, as the morning brief here with the Economic Times is evaluating the Mayday call of Go First, the insolvency masterstroke. Anurban, welcome to TMB in a different hot seat today as a guest.
3: Hi Anupriya, <laughs> good to be here.
1: Well, um, let me start up with the desperation at GoAir. The market seemed to get a whiff of it around mid-April where Economic Times only reported that there could be a significant stake sale on the card or a complete exit. Uh, one was not sure, but one thing was clear that there was a desperation around the corner. What was the on-ground situation at GoAir or Go First at this junction?
3: So, yeah, Go Airlines had been imploding for some time. And, It was a combination of several factors, right? So half of its fleet was grounded, primarily, but not only due to engine supply issues. Salaries to employees were being paid late. There was a massive exodus of employees, actually. The airline had already defaulted on 3,800 crore rupees to its aircraft lessors and its vendors, vendors meaning I mean, one is including companies who used to supply it fuel. The airline had outstanding debt of six thousand five hundred twenty-one crore rupees, which it confessed later to the bankruptcy court that it would default on very soon. So, yes, there was a definite desperation. But interestingly, it's not been just a year that GoAir has been trying to get investors or raise money. In fact, the Wadias have spoken to every possible. PE firm there is who's interested, who's even remotely interested in the aviation industry. It's spoken to Qatar Airways, as far as we know, it's spoken to the Tatas. In fact, what some company insiders say, and this is sort of unconfirmed and Go Airlines will never confirm this on record, but they say that Jawadia, just before he fell out with his father and walked out, uh, Go and other Vadia Group companies, he did bring an investor onto the table. But obviously, then again, things didn't work out because of their internal squabbles. The airline has tried to go for an IPO at least four times. Its Hmm. banks had stopped lending to it more than a year back. So the state it had gotten into, its creditors would have sooner or later dragged it to NCLT. It was pushed to a corner. And I think one way to look at it, and this is only one way to look at it, is that it would one way or the other had to go to bankruptcy court.
1: Already starting to be cancelled a lot of the fleet was already on the ground. I mean, I'm just talking from personal experience here. I have taken a go-air flight to two different destinations and both times I was pretty much stranded at the airport because I faced four to five-hour delays on my travel plans as well. So even before going into insolvency, voluntary insolvency, the on-ground operations had been impacted massively even before they announced the flight cancellations officially.
3: The short answer to this is grounded aircraft. When you have half of your fleet grounded and your schedule, I mean, your schedule can't remain intact, right? Some of it will obviously be pre planned cancellations and curtailment of your schedule, but you can't curtail your schedule by half without alarming the regulator, the ministry, you know, the passengers. So you have to do some ad hoc stuff as well, and that's exactly what GoAir was doing. Which is why the mayhem among passengers who would book a flight for, say, six a.m. Tuesday, but see that flight either cancelled or combined with another flight, for the simple reason that there was no aircraft which would fly them because that aircraft was grounded, and the one which was supposed to. And the aircraft which was supposed to be swapped with that aircraft was perhaps flying other passengers in some other route. So it was chaotic because primarily because of the grounding of the
1: aircraft. Now, Anirban, you, you just talked about uh, the grounding of the aircraft being the biggest problem. And a large part of that has been pinned on to the engine issues which have brought Go Air or Go First to its knees. What is this Pratt & Whitney issue for those who have not been tracking it from the start?
3: So Anupriya to understand the Pratt and Whitney issue we need to go back a little and to the time when GoAir really decided to expand right which was 2011 so the airline ordered its first set of 72 planes the very fuel efficient Airbus A320neos Which engine maker did it choose? It chose Pratt & Whitney. So far, so good. Pratt & Whitney was doing great. Then Pratt & Whitney also did something wonderful. They came up with the super efficient, you know, the 1100G turbofan engines, which have been sort of the cornerstone of all the trouble and all the news also that the engine maker has gotten into. And that engine initially, when they came up with it, the efficiency had, every airline in the world really, really excited. But the Indian had teething problems, as everything in aerospace tends to do. But one problem in particular was fairly sort of telling, especially for Indian carriers, which was that they would face issues in countries or in markets with extreme climate and pollution. And India is obviously one of them. Which is why these problems started way before. I mean, they started actually way back in 2016. But in 2019, what does Go Airlines do? It places a massive order with Pratt & Whitney to power its latest order as well. This is not what other airlines in the world are doing. At this time, the airlines have become very aware of the problems that these engines have. They are shifting to other engine makers. In fact, in the same year, Indigo decides to place a 20 billion order with CFM, which is Pratt & Whitney's rival. It has brought engines... From Pratt & Whitney until then, it decides to make a shift in 2019. GoAir decides to stick with Pratt & Whitney. According to the NCLT plea, what GoAirline says is that the engines were faulty right from the start. 80% of those engines had to be removed or replaced even before they ran for 5,000 hours. And the usual metric for the replacement or removal of an engine is 10,000 or even 20,000 hours. And obviously the engines had to be replaced more frequently than they usually would and pratt and whitney was facing its own supply issues so it could not give engines in time so what happened is in 2020 31% of goa's fleet was grounded that went to 34% it went to 40% and then just before it filed for insolvency more than half of its 54 planes were grounded so what Lines has said to NCLT is that it's lost potential revenue worth 10,800 crore because of these engine issues and the aircraft grounding.
1: Aside from the operational issues, one thing that has been in the news as well, which is behind the scenes of the business battleground that has been GoAir. air I want to talk about what was really going on behind the scenes a year ago when the business battles of GoAir came under the front headlines with Jay's exit, which also became a big problem point, not just operationally, but more so with the investor community.
3: So, yeah, I mean, we are getting into slightly murky waters here. But yes, all said and done. And from what we hear from old timers as well as veterans in the airline, Jay Vardia's exit was the last nail in the coffin that is if we are already writing go airlines epitaph and well there is no reason to do so yet go airlines has always been sort of a family battlefield right i mean the differences between the father and son has been the stuff of legend and a lot of problems and a lot of management problems in GoAir are an offshoot of that not everything but but a lot of it is there were insane amounts of top level exits in goair at one point i mean there were months after once when the airline did not have a ceo it did not have a cfo it did not have a head of revenue management but and again that's not because they didn't get brilliant talent they got wolfgang Crocshaw, for instance as ceo who had let jet in its heyday and is now president at uh, indigo jay you know, to give him the benefit of doubt because Jay was also, you know, he had his problems of aggression, etc. But he knew the airline business. That's what everybody says. And he knew how to run the airline. He kept it profitable. You know, it was a very small airline, but he kept it profitable. It went international later than others, but it did go international. It chose some great routes. All of that was actually... Under Jay. So, around 2020, 2021, the rift between the two ha- had started. And I think it came to a head. And he wanted to leave. And he did leave. And then, of course, as per the latest DRHP, we see that there were threats of going legal against Jay because he owned a company which actually owned the GoAir brand. And then there was an overnight changing of brand from GoAir to GoFirst. Even after Jay left, was the promoter commitment to the airline low? Not really. Because the Wadias put in 210 crore into the airline in December, rupees 290 crore in April. They've committed 6,400 crore into the airline, of which 1,593 crore is equity infusion. Is that a bad figure? Not at all. Because remember, Vistara has received 9,900 crore rupees since its birth in 2015, of which the last investment was done In mid-November, and that was 650 crore. To cut a long story short, are the promoters still committed to go air? Possibly, yes. But do they want to feed the airline's yawning black hole of losses anymore? Possibly not. Because remember, its losses have only been growing. 1,800 crore in FI 2022, 3,600 crore provisional losses in FI 2023. That's that's massive losses. So, I guess they, they did not want to feed or fund the airline losses anymore
1: from being a profitable airline operationally to going into problems with creditors and lessors across the board creditors have not been so vocal the bank creditors at this point but a large part of the pain point is coming from the lessors Anirban. what are you hearing from the owners of the actual aircraft that goair operates
3: the biggest critique to GoAir's move has been that it puts so many of its creditors in a huge bind and the ones to face the worst brunt of it are the lessors, right? What happens is that when an airline defaults, the lessor sends the airline default notices. Several default notices later, it sends a plea to an application to the aviation regulator, which is the DGCA, to deregister the aircraft. Within five days, the DCCA deregisters the aircraft and after that, there is a fairly long process through which the lessor gets back the aircraft, which is what the lessors in GoAir's case were also expecting to do. Most of these lessors, after sending default notices, terminated their contracts and what one of them who's approached NCLAT, SMBC, is saying is that the contracts were terminated before GoAir was admitted into bankruptcy court, Right. Uh, they are also citing something called Cape Town Convention, whose rules actually are supposed to protect lessors and creditors of airlines uh, in in the event of their uh, bankruptcy or in the event of their insolvency. But the moment NCLT admitted GoAir's insolvency plea, it also triggered a moratorium on all payments that GoAir has to make, and it prevented all creditors from taking any kind of coercive action against the assets so now the aircraft are out of reach for lessors the money the accounts are out of reach for bankers etc 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 now this moratorium is for 6 months and it is extendable by 9 months in these 9 months 6 or 9 months these aircraft cannot be touched and the lessors keep losing their money what is that money the money is the aircraft parking expenses the maintenance, upkeep of the aircraft, all of that is is on the lessor's books. The DGCA has received a record number of forty five applications to deregister aircraft. The lessor with the biggest exposure to GoAir right now, which is SMBC, has actually said that GoAir has gone to NCLT to defraud its creditors, including SMBC and other lessors as well. It's fairly obvious that the other lessors may also go to NCLAT to you know stop this. So. But what help will that be, given India's very complex legal structure is something that we you know need to see. But yes, the lessors are definitely in a massive, massive bind. It's not the first time, and you know, going by what we see, it won't be the last time either.
1: Always a first time for everything. But this voluntary insolvency is not the first of its kind, nor is the haircuts and worries among creditors. Joining us now, Economic Times, Sangeeta Mehta. Sangeeta, welcome back on The Morning Brief. And I must say, it seems like we only speak to you when a company is imploding. So I'm sorry about that. I'm sure I promise that we will speak to you when we have good news from the banker and the banking side as well. But for now, this is not the first time we've seen voluntary insolvencies coming in. It has been used in the past as well. There have been several instances
4: in the past. If you remember, SL was among the first big cases which had gone for a voluntary insolvency because they were hoping for an out-of-court settlement or they were hoping for a white knight to come. And you know, back then it was unbelievable that a corporate himself would kind of say that I want my company to be liquid because we've always lived in an era where the promoter does everything to save his company. And then the other big case was Arcom. There were three of these companies which Anil Ambani took to NCLT.
1: So, Sangeeta, take us through what you're hearing from the chatter among creditors of GoAir at this point. Were they surprised by this move to insolvency by the group? What happens from here on? What's the chatter behind the scene that you're picking up?
4: They weren't
1: totally surprised because a week prior to being admitted,
4: GoAir officials had a meeting with lenders where they had conveyed to them that, look, if you're not willing to provide any additional risk finances to us, we have no options but to NCRT. And then the lenders, having had the bitter experience with Chet, they probably said that we do not want to burn additional money on this. And then they said that uh, either you bring in your money or we are not giving you additional funding. So to some extent, lenders were prepared. Now, once Among these, the three prominent lenders are Central Bank, Bank of Baroda and uh, Deutsche Bank. And uh, totally, their exposure is 4,500 crore and they have security of 3,000 crore, which is in form of land. Now, that's
1: the only security they have. One of those loans as Sangeeta mentioned is the Deutsche Bank loan. And it's not as simple as what meets the eye. My colleague Mohit Bala from Economic Times explains why this $300 million loan stands out.
0: So the Deutsche Bank loan is interesting because it's been taken at the Adavadia holding company level in Mauritius where the loan of $300 million was taken and backed up by uh, lien on the bank account of Associated Biscuits International Limited which is a London-based company that owns about 44% stake in Britannia Industries. So effectively what... That loan is backed up by is uh, lien on the flows of Associated Biscuits International, which in turn receives income. Its main and only source of income is effectively dividend income from shares held in Britannia industries. Now, at the same time that that loan has been taken in Mauritius, $200 million of fixed deposits have been created by the Wadia Group and uh, as a security in lieu of which Deutsche Bank has further loaned money to GoAir. We understand is one connected transaction. The company says that these transactions have no connection to each other and that the GOER funding has nothing to do with Britannia Industries. Now, there are two things here. One is that, of course, Deutsche Bank can cover its GoAir exposure by just liquidating those fixed deposits. But what happens to the loan at the holding company in Mauritius, which they've given of $300 million? Now, as long as the dividend income coming in from Britannia into Associated Biscuits, and flowing into that Mauritius company can service that loan, things are all right. But if the dividend income does not suffice, effectively Deutsche Bank could force the Wadias to sell Britannia shares. That could potentially create an overhang on the stock. The other thing to worry about or uh, to focus on is whether this transaction, from a regulatory standpoint, is totally clean. And then, or one can speculate that funding has been taken by GoAir for which effectively some sort of lien has been created offshore on income coming in from Britannia industry. So is this regulatorily totally above board is something that's questionable.
1: Questionable moves and questionable motives and many unanswered queries. What protection does voluntary insolvency give the Vardiyas versus being dragged to the courts by creditors? Is Nusli Vardiya and team still in the driving seat and what are the options for creditors? Anirban Chaudhary sits down with Rajesh Sharma, a retired member of the NCLT who had presided over the jet bankruptcy case. Mr. Sharma,
3: how is GoAir, as a company filing the voluntary insolvency petition differently treated by the IBC laws than a company that has been, uh, let's say, dragged to the bankruptcy court by its creditors?
2: You see, if I tell you in brief the Insolvency law, that is Insolvency and Bankruptcy Code 2016 provides for bringing any company into insolvency by adopting any of the three ways. Section 7 of Insolvency and Bankruptcy Code of 2016 provides for financial creditor to bring corporate debtor into insolvency by filing a petition with NCLT. In section 9, the operational creditor has the power to bring a corporate debtor into insolvency by filing an application with NCLT. Under section 10, the corporate debtor itself can file an insolvency petition with NCLT. Normally, where in most of the cases, you must have observed that a financial creditor or an operational creditor is filing insolvency. In this particular case, The corporate debtor itself has filed insolvency. I
3: also wanted to understand how does the IBC laws treat such a
2: company differently? You see, it is equally important for all the three stakeholders, that is financial creditor, operational creditor, or a corporate debtor filing insolvency as and when required or as and when felt by them that the company has become insolvent. I would like to clarify here that there is a difference between insolvency and bankruptcy, whereas in the normal uses, we use both of them interchangeably. Insolvency and bankruptcy are two different things. Insolvency is the temporary problem faced by the corporate debtor in making payments to its financial or operational creditors. If the company is brought into insolvency and it could not be resolved within a particular time. It goes to liquidation. There, the question of bankruptcy comes. In simple words, insolvency is a temporary financial problem. Bankruptcy is a final outcome of that. As far as the GoFirst case is concerned, it is not the only case where Section 10 application has been filed. There are many cases which have been filed before also. But in insolvency laws, majority of the cases are either filed by the operational creditor or financial creditor, as the case may be.
3: Understood, sir. Understood. So seen another way and since you played a large role in that, how is it different from the Jet Aways case? Not just in terms of voluntary, involuntary, but there was a stage at which Jet came to NCLT, which can be said, I mean, it, it, it had shut down, it had shut operations, uh, it was on the brink of collapse. So since you were so active in the Jet Airways case and played such a big part, how do you compare the two?
2: Yes, as a matter of fact, the case of Jet was before our bench in Mumbai. In case of Jet Airways, financial creditor State Bank of India brought the company into insolvency and considerable time was already passed since when the company was feeling insolvency. Right. What is good in this particular case of GoFirst that the management itself has come to the NCLT filing its insolvency petition that we are facing difficulty with respect to our payments towards our creditors. And that is the earliest stage one can go for insolvency. This is the basic reference which you will find from JET and GoFirst. And mind it. Even one day before of filing insolvency, the company was in operation.
3: How do you react to some sections of the industry that are analyzing this as GoAir exploring a loophole or exploiting a loophole in the IBC rules to just ward the creditors off and continue business as usual? And also the bigger allegation that this will set a bad precedent for other companies who are in financial trouble, they will use the same route to ward off their creditors and continue running their businesses. How do you react to that?
2: You see, I do not subscribe to that because I am deep into this insolvency law. People who may be having half knowledge or half story about the cases, they may be talking like this. You see, insolvency law has been brought in India as IBC 2016, just six years back. And the basic principle worldwide, including India, for insolvency is if somebody is unable to pay his dues, he should come into insolvency, face the insolvency process, either get revived or get liquidated and restart the business anywhere else. This is what the insolvency law is. So uh, let's talk
3: about how this will pan out the insolvency resolution professional has already uh, sort of begun to talk, to go as employees, giving them timelines, telling them to stay put, saying nothing changes and we'll, we'll try to revive the airline. Now the question is, how powerful is the IRP? Does he run the airline now? Do the promoters need to take a step back? Do they lose their voting rights? How powerful is the management? That is, that is something I'm very curious about.
2: Let me tell you, whether the insolvency is filed by the financial creditor under Section 7 of the IBC, by an operational creditor under Section 9 of the IBC, or by the corporate debtor itself under Section 10 of the IBC, as far as the process of insolvency is concerned, there is no change. In all the three types of insolvency filing, the process is same. The IRP is appointed. He is to constitute a committee of creditors within 30 days and. The committee of creditors, under the overall supervision of committee of creditors, the IRP is to lead the company. The existing management of the company is suspended. They do not have any voting right or any decision-making power with respect to operations of the company. This is the RP who will be running the company. However, wherever he feels that some support or some Handholding is required from the promoter side with respect to the business. We can take that help from the suspended board, but that will not be obligatory on the part of the RP to work according to their instructions or their suggestions.
3: Right. So you don't subscribe to the notion that it's the current promoters, the vadyas who will be running the show yeah. even after admitting themselves in a You see MCL. law
2: that doesn't provide that, number one. Number two, in case the concerned RT allows to do that, he will be holding himself subject to disciplinary proceedings from the Insolvency and Bankruptcy Board of India, the regulator of the insolvency laws.
3: Right, right. The promoters seem to want to present their own resolution plan. It seems that they want to bid for their own company. How, How far do you think this is possible? You
2: see, the promoter is entitled to put up a resolution plan, however, keeping in view of the restrictions imposed under Section 29A of the Insolvency and Bankruptcy Court. 29A, apart from other things, provide for that the resolution applicant promoter of the company should not be an NPA anywhere in his businesses of or any of the group company business of the same promoter. Okay. If they are eligible, they will be in the queue for filing resolution proposals. But nobody can say for certainty that I am the suspended management, I will take over this company even after the process is followed and somebody else is a higher bidder than me the company cannot go to him at
3: all. Let me uh, you know, talk about the, the conflict between the operational side of it and the IBC laws, right? So lessors have been up in arms against uh, the insolvency police saying that they weren't informed about it, they weren't a part of it. And the fact that now that it triggers a moratorium, they can't access their aircraft and of course you know each day of an aircraft being grounded is a cost to the lessor as well the lessors have approached the NCLAT but the NCLAT have not decided to give any status quo the DGCA is telling them how can we allow you to repossess aircraft after IBC after the moratorium has kicked in so the, basically the uh, the the lessors are left
2: in the lurch how do you comment on that? You see, first of all, if somebody has some understanding of IBC laws, mm-hmm. insolvency and bankruptcy code, it is a petition which is filed by either the financial creditor or the operational creditor or the company. Mm. And rest of the parties are not party to that particular petition. Even if the company has filed insolvency, the rest of the financial and operational creditors are not part of that particular litigation. If somebody says that we were not heard, that's fine. One, one has to put his point with the higher courts and one has, that has to be decided by the higher courts. But there is no with as far as the order of admission of the go-first by NCLT is concerned. So as far as in conclusion, as far as the core idea
3: of IBC rules is to help a company to survive, what's happening in Goa is a good
2: thing. That's what you're saying. If the way things are seen as on today and the things which have been done till now, I think this is the right course of action which has been done by the corporate debtor as well as the faster approval by NCLT. That is the only way where the insolvency companies can be brought back to their own feet.
1: Whether Goer will take to the skies or be capped at its knees is anyone's guess at this point. But even as the debris in the Indian aviation graveyard increases, it does not seem to deter Geeks looking to conquer the Indian airspace. Anirban details what makes aviation so attractive and yet such a destructive business proposition.
3: So it is globally an extremely difficult industry to be in. So, I mean, it is on one hand transportation and on the other hand services with a lot of hospitality thrown in. And the lines between these often blur. So if you focus on the services side more, you lose money and if you focus too much on hardcore transportation economics, you often lose reputation and ultimately money. Now, the Indian aviation industry does have some unique problems. Our airline fuel is still taxed higher than the rest of the world, although many states have cut theirs. Infrastructure is still catching up with the demand for flying and airlines ambitions. Airlines in India are dealing with insanely price-sensitive customers who also want their money's worth of luxury. Added to that, we have no allied ecosystem here. So, there are no major aircraft financiers, no aircraft or engine-making unit, neither are there major plane and engine maintenance shops in the country. But have these problems stopped India's aviation market from being really vibrant and promising? No way. So demand, both within the country and outside, is immense, and so is ambition. So we have the Tatas that want to build a global airline entity in partnership with one of the most prominent carriers in the world, Singapore Airlines. One sign of that is that Air India has placed a historic aircraft order with plane makers Boeing and Airbus. Then of course we have new entrants in the form of a Casa that is growing very fast, and Fly 91 which is waiting in the wings. The good thing with both these airlines is that they are formed by hardcore airline professionals and veterans with what seems to be the right intent and integrity for this business rather than some billionaire who wants to float a symbol of his arrogance in the skies or wants to, you know, gift a billion dollar business to his son. So these players will hopefully make the business evolve and give it the structure and maturity that it hasn't had yet. But a lot more needs to be done in terms of incentivizing the industry and making way for a full-fledged aviation and aerospace ecosystem to come up and grow. I think only when all this happens, shall we truly be able to realize the potential of India's aviation industry.
1: So keep the seatbelts on. It promises to be a turbulent journey ahead. You've been listening to Go First Mayday Call, the Insolvency Masterstroke. A shout out to the team that helped put the story together. Malik Vyas for all his behind the scenes legal eagle inputs. Sangita Mehta for the bankers buzz, along with Mohit Palla and Av Geek and fellow TMB host Anirvan Chaudhary. This show was produced by Sumit Pandey and the sound journey was put together by Rajas Nayak. Executive producers, Arajit Anirban and me, your host, Anupriya Nayar. With that, it's a wrap on this episode of The Morning Brief. Catch us every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday on the podcast platform of your choice. Thank you for listening in. Have a great week.